Hello and welcome to Fast Charge, the weekly smartphone and other stuff podcast from the team at Tech Advisor, broadcasting live from the United Kingdom, a country that does currently have a government, but only on a technicality. <laughs> uh, luckily, we do at least have plenty of tech to talk about. Uh, we have missed the last couple of weeks. I'm sorry to anyone who has been missing us. It's just been a bit of a scheduling nightmare. And one week where pretty much all of us caught some sort of vicious plague and you really didn't want us trying to podcast through that, I promise. Uh, but we are all back, so I'm joined this week by Lewis and Henry. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? Feeling upbeat about the state of the country? Yeah, it's just love it. great move after great move. I can't wait to see what's next. Yep. It's like the transfer deadline day. Everyone's just, <laughs> yeah, who knows what's going next. <laughs> Boris Johnson's coming back. That's what's going uh. next. No. Hey. It's all uphill uh, from here, right? Sunny, uh, sunny days ahead. Uh, we have tech to talk about. Let's move to that because it's more positive. Yes, please. Uh, uh, actually, is it positive? Because we are going to start probably with just ragging on iPads for a bit. Uh, <laughs> Apple unveiled some new products this week and updated Apple TV and a few iPads. And this is, I would have to say, the first Apple launch in a while, certainly the first iPad launch, that's just been met with kind of confusion and consternation <laughs> And mostly grumpiness, even from Apple fans. And no one really fe- seems to be particularly happy with anything Apple's actually launched this week, <laughs> which is an unusual state of affairs. Yeah. Even when they get it wrong, normally, you know, there's, there's a broad current of positivity around it. I haven't really detected that this week. So we'll go through that, mm. the new iPad and the new iPad Pro models. Uh, then we're going to talk Pixel stuff. We were meant to do a big Pixel review special last week, and then that aforementioned plague struck us down. Sadly, we so don't have... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Sadly, we have Chris this week because he's on holiday. But we do have Henry, who reviewed the Pixel Seven Pro for the site and also tested out the Pixel Watch. It was actually Chris that wrote our Pixel Watch review, but Henry got one as well, so he spent just as much time using the watch. So we're going to have Henry's thoughts on the current state of the Pixel line uh, once we finish telling you how bad the new iPads are. Okay, <laughs> before let's go to some of the other bits this week. Uh, we mentioned uh, the Razer Android gaming console thing a few mm. weeks ago when we last did a show. That has now officially been announced. It is the Razer Edge. It's actually changed a little bit from when we last saw it. It is now a tablet, not an all-in-one games device. It is a 6.8-inch tablet. So actually smaller than some phones, but still technically yeah. just about a tablet. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, and then what it comes with is bundled with the Kishi V2 Pro controller, which is one of those controllers that straps onto the side of the tablet. You actually can't buy those anywhere else. They are exclusive to the Edge, though I suspect that will change down the line. Um, but anyway, what you're basically getting is a pretty powerful Android tablet using that gaming-focused Snapdragon chip that was announced last year. Most impressive bit here, though, is the price. We chatted about this before, and we thought, we're going to go pretty high-end with their pricing. They have surprised us. The Wi-Fi-only version of the Edge is a mere $400 um, as it launches in the States, which <clears throat> makes the Logitech equivalent look really under half of the price because it's only a $50 price gap between them. And the uh, Logitech G Cloud Gaming, or whatever it's called, looks a little bit dead in the water already. Yeah. Uh, there will also be a 5G version of this Razer hardware. That's a Verizon exclusive, though. And I don't think we actually have pricing for that one yet. So it will be more than 400, but we don't have a number. Um, I would guess 500, but that is me pulling a number <laughs> out of nowhere. Magic. Uh, what else have we got? A uh, little bit of odd OnePlus news. We don't always comment on leaks in this bit, but this one was interesting enough. I thought we might. Uh, we have heard of two separate leakers this week, Max Jamble and OnLeak, so both usually fairly reliable, that we will still be getting only one phone in the main OnePlus 11 line next spring. But it will be the OnePlus 11, not the OnePlus 11 Pro. This no. year we got a 10 Pro and no 10. Next year we're now getting an 11, but no 11 Pro. To make that more confusing... Every leak we've had so far suggests a phone that is broadly like OnePlus's Pro phones in terms of the size, in terms of the curved display, in terms of the specs. So this feels like right. not a change in terms of the hardware Ooh. they're going to put out or the pricing. They're just changing the name and recognizing that it's a bit weird to put out the Pro version of a phone that doesn't exist. Yeah. It makes if they sense. did that, then they could keep selling the 10 Pro as well. Exactly. It, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what they're doing. So it's very confusing. It's a little odd. It's going to take some getting used to. I do think it makes sense, though. But just bear that in mind. Going forwards, whenever you see leaks of Apple Plus 11, there is probably just an 11, but that 11 is really a pro in disguise. 
So keep that in your head. Okay. Uh, Motorola and Lenovo had a few fun announcements this week. They had their big annual Tech World event. We didn't get a lot in terms of product announcements, but they showed off a few concepts. And it's interesting, we now see Lenovo and Motorola going into that fun robot space that we mostly saw LG in before they ducked out of the whole industry. Um, so. Motorola-able. <laughs> We had you here on the show for some reason, Henry. Uh, <laughs> they showed off two products. One is a phone. These are both prototypes, to be clear, not anything you actually buy, just kind of proof of concept stuff. Uh, one is a phone that's a rollable. What's interesting here is it's a vertical rollable. It's basically a pretty short phone that then extends up to be a tall, thin phone going from five inches up to six and a half. So very like different to the horizontal. <laughs> oh, my God. Very different to the horizontal form factor we had LG playing on with before. Uh, it's a little bit of a funny shape. It looks a bit odd. It's very squat when it's it's, it's unrolled. Um, I don't know if this is really a form factor. They'll end up with the LG one looked a bit more sensible to me, but it's kind of cool. They also showed off a laptop where, again, the, hint, the screen rolled up vertically. Uh, again, looking very, very odd when fully extended. But I am a fan of extra vertical screen real estate on laptops, so I do see the appeal of that one. Um, what else have we got? Android 13, the Android 13 Go Edition has launched. This is the version of Android for phones primarily with like low RAM, but broadly cheap phones, low lower powered version. What's interesting this time is they've actually managed to roll out a few extra features into Go that we've not seen before. Um, one is actually the Google Discover feed that previously wasn't in Go editions of Android. That's been added in, a core part of the Android experience now available for Go. And also turning up very quickly, Material U has been added into Go phones as well. Oh, sweet. So That's this cool, is actually yeah. a pretty big jump. And I think it means that those cheap, and this is like the really cheap Android phones that run this, the really low power ones, they're gonna get something that at least visually looks a lot more a lot uh, like other Android phones, feels a lot closer to them. Um, I'm curious to see how that performs and whether material you're in particular drags thing down any, but um, seems cool. And then finally, a bit of rampant Apple speculation as we head into iPad chat. Uh, word is that iPhone 14 Plus production has already been slashed by Apple and that they have told <laughs> their manufacturing partners to stop building Pluses and build more Pros and Pro Maxes instead. Is that after um, Henry posted his review this morning? I, yeah, I wish I could we take responsibility. Uh, no, I did put this on my news list a few hours before Henry's scathing 7 out of 10 review <laughs> dropped. Uh, but do go read that if you want to get a little glimpse as to maybe why the 14 Plus has not been doing gangbusters. Um, this is obviously kind of interesting because the whole point of the Plus was that it was to replace the Mini, which didn't sell as well as Apple wanted it to. No one wanted small phones. Ah, that's because everyone wants big phones. Well, we no one wants big phones either. Uh, the problem might just be that doing four iPhones in one range is a little unsustainable even for Apple. Um, the only other caveat to this is because of production cycles. Even if the 14 Plus is a flop and Apple are gutted and disappointed, <laughs> We're still going to get 15 plus because they're so locked into that production cycle that the 15 yeah. plus will be coming no matter what um, we, we expect. This may just mean like with the mini two years of it before they scrap it because it hasn't been working for them. But we'll see. OK, let's talk about iPads. Yeah. Um, we've got a few new iPads this week. We have a new regular iPad and we have I believe two new sizes well not new sizes but two new pro iPads in the different pro sizes um, the regular iPad packs in some interesting new features we've not seen before on iPad some genuine firsts for Apple tablets but comes with a hefty jump in price that makes us a little hesitant about what used to be Apple's cheap tablet conversely the pro comes in throws in the M2 chip, as we'd expect, that big power bump you'd want, doesn't have a lot of the feature upgrades that have been rumored and that we've been hoping for, and also doesn't have some of the cool new feature upgrades that the cheap iPad has. Lewis, what is going on here? I wish I could tell you, to be honest. It's a, it's a bit of a nightmare at the moment. So, yeah, mm. let's start with, I'd say, the more underwhelming of the two, which is the pros, which is kind of what nobody was expecting, really. I can understand why they didn't want to put this out in an event, because mm -hmm. it is really the most incremental of updates. Like, even in the press release, it was fairly lightweight on what was new, and they were just kind of highlighting 
features of iPadOS 16 rather than hardware stuff, and you know that's that's never a good sign. Um, anyway, so let's start. Yeah, so the iPad Pro 11, the iPad Pro 12.9. There was a lot of speculation uh, ahead of launch that there was going to be some pretty interesting changes. I think the biggest what disappointment is the fact that there's no mini LED on the 11-inch model. That was hugely that speculated for such a long time, and then as the time grew closer, it was clear that wasn't going to happen. Um, and it's just you know, that harks back to Apple's time of you know splitting the two, the, like the Pro and the Pro Max, giving the Pro Max better features than the Pro, even though they're both Pro devices. It's kind of in that territory again um, with the iPad Pro range. Um, uh, so apart from that, the big change is the M2 chip. That is Apple's fastest Apple Silicon chipset has got yet. Um, and yeah, it's really exciting to see that on a, an iPad. Um, obviously. There isn't really going to be a lot on the iPad that can take advantage of such power right now, but it does give it a lot of headroom for future. So if Apple does want to start bringing desktop class apps, there has been rumor for a while that they're working on like an iPad version of Final Cut Pro X. Um, so if that does come appear down the line, it'll be perfect for that kind of thing. But right now, I think, you know, even the M1 or the A15, or even the A14, you're going to get a fairly solid iPad experience. It's just more future proof than anything. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty funny that there's already a version of DaVinci Resolve now for iPad. <laughs> They've done it before Apple did. Of course, they just. <laughs> I don't understand what happened with with the Final Cut. They kind of really dropped the ball because um, you know years. Yes, say years ago, like when I was back in college, like that was Final Cut Pro was the one that was being used a lot of the time in Hollywood, and it was all very exciting stuff. And then they updated it for Final Cut Pro X or Ten or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and they kind of. Uh, made it easier for consumers to use and much harder for actual professionals to use. And they kind of stepped away from it since then. And since then, I think they've just kind of left it on the back burner, which is really surprising considering their, you know, initial niche was was the creatives and and kind of video editors and, and audio people and stuff like that. So it's really weird. Um, but there are some very good iPad editing apps on the iPad already. So maybe they just don't feel that they can compete. <laughs> um, True. And then another new but I, I quite it's boring there's no other way to say it update is um the ipad's hover mode they, they made a big fuss out of this in the press release but it's a feature that i've seen on other tablets before you know i'm pretty sure the um the, the samsung's do it yeah the galaxy note yeah. um has a similar feature where so basically what it can do is detect when your apple pencil second generation is hovering above the display uh, up to 12 millimeters away and then it'll give you a little icon on screen to show where your pencil's going to mark so that's good for kind of sketching and drawing and that kind of thing uh, and the good news is yeah you don't have to buy a new apple pencil it's compatible with the second gen so that's the one saving grace out of this whole debacle um but aside from that yeah it's just all all that's new is ipad os 16 stuff uh, like stage manager stage manager is going to be really exciting um the best feature of it is the ability to extend displays and not just mirror them but actually use separate displays with ipad apps on it um which people have been calling for for quite a long time. That's going to be exclusive to the M1 and M2 chips. So that's the iPad Pros and the iPad Air. Um, whereas some of the other newer ones will get other features of stage management, like multi-window use on the tablet. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that a lot of iPads are getting. So that's definitely not exclusive to the iPad Pro. And then you couple that with the fact, I mean, in the US, fine. There's no price change. Absolutely fine. I can accept that. It's a, it's a minor update. But <laughs> you can't say the same in the UK. Um, I think and this is, I, I imagine, going to be a big part of the discussion today, but they got more expensive and not just by a little bit. Uh, so the 11-inch iPad Pro has seen an increase of £150 uh, from 749 to 899 uh, which is sad, but it's not as sad as the iPad Pro 12.9, which was £999 and is now £1,249, a £250 increase on an already yep. crazy expensive tablet. It's yeah. it's almost unbelievable. I mean, for for context, you know, for certainly for listeners outside the UK, Apple has basically increased prices on every iPad in the lineup oh, yeah. for the UK market in one fell swoop. What's striking here is I, I think it is international news at this point that the pound is not doing so hot. <laughs> um, but this is by these price ranges are a lot more than what you would expect from the inflation and from the weak pound that we're seeing at the moment. And these are yeah. not kind of reasonable price increase given given the financial state of the market. You do get the feeling that Apple is either trying to price in further financial collapse collapse in the UK and is basically predicting it's going to get worse and pricing for where it thinks will be yeah. six months from now, or Apple is frankly taking the piss and is basically realizing, well, we can do price hikes. Everyone would just say, ah, it's the economy's fault, and they'll get away with it, and no one will really sit and do the maths and say, well, hang on, 
Was was there that much of a price difference? Yeah, twenty five percent. Literally twenty five percent. Is that is that in line with the inflation we've got and that kind of thing? Um, no. I do think they're taking advantage <laughs> a little bit here, um, and we're going to see that across across the whole iPad lineup. And that is partly an issue with the new base model as well. Though there, that's it's complicated by the fact that this has had a price increase everywhere yes. relative to the previous ninth gen right yeah well we yeah we're we, we going to intro what the base model is because there's yeah. a bit more uh reasoning around why it might be more expensive yeah, so yeah. i was going to dive into that a little bit so uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of it's not really a surprise that the price has gone up with the base ipad because the exact same thing happened with the ipad mini and the ipad air when they all got their redesigns they also hiked the price by 150 quid or whatever it was so yeah. that was kind of expected um but it is nice to see uh so the 10th gen ipad should probably say complete redesign um, compared to the old iPad, it's the first time, probably ever, that it's got a significant redesign. You know, they had a slight shape change early on, um, but aside from that, it's kept the same form factor with the home button. It's been yeah the oldest, most boring iPad of the range for so long now. It's uh, a very good iPad, and yes. it's the iPad I own, and like I know we can get caught up with it. Sorry to interrupt. But no, yeah, no, no, it's free. perfectly functional as well. It is boring. And when I look at it, I'm like, oh, this looks a bit rubbish, doesn't yeah. it? Um, but it still does everything to yeah. such, a, such a good this level. Is the thing. It yeah, is. You're right. It is the first time, it, but it just looks completely different with no home button. Yeah, because yeah. that was the that was the main thing. It's just it looked old at this point. Like, you know, compared yep. to basically everything else on the market, it just looked dated. Yeah. The same thing with the iPhone yeah. SE. It just looks old. It's fine, but it just looks it, crap. Um, but no more. <laughs> so uh, so this has had the it's redesign. It's still on sale, though. <laughs> it is still on sale for the, yeah. as the cheap option. So it, it's still but it's slightly expensive more expensive now. in the UK. But yeah, we'll uh, cover that in a bit. So yeah, we're, we're talking uh, the full iPad redesign, similar to the iPad mini and the iPad Air with the angular edges, that nice squared off the, um, form factor, and ditching the home button for the, power button, uh, the Touch ID-enabled power button. Mm -hmm. um, instantly looks way better. Uh, they were able yep. to increase the display size from 10.2 to 10.9 inches without actually adjusting the overall dimensions. So that's always nice. Um, and it comes in some pretty vibrant colors for an iPad. So you've got like this goldy yellow, like a pinky red, like a nice blue shade, and then the boring silver. But the boring silver is always going to be there. <laughs> The, the striking thing here is there's no black or grey at all. The closest That's a good point, is actually, a silver, yeah. which is really unusual for, for Apple, but for any tech company. Yeah. Not even yeah. just do a really bland, generic grey or black option. I think it's so. just time to, to kind of push the fact that this is the fun entry level. You know, this is the one for the yeah. cool kids, just like the uh, the colourful iPhones were. Was it the iPhone oh, 5C. 5C? That C, was it. Yeah, yeah 5C. Um, actually, saying that, I think the colours might be a bit similar to that now I'm looking at them. But um, yeah, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so that's the uh, form factor. So uh, there's some, uh, there's a few interesting things here. So the big one is the fact that they've moved the camera uh, from the top of the, in portrait view to kind of uh, along the landscape edge it's because I think Apple's finally recognised that people yeah. use this in landscape mode a lot more than portrait, especially when they're on video calls and stuff like that. And um, so that just means I, that... I was thinking about this today. Sorry, Sorry to interrupt. It is so weird for me that it's taken, give or take, a decade of tablets and a worldwide pandemic for manufacturers to clock on to the fact that most people use the front-facing camera on a tablet sideways. What a concept. And I, I don't, I'm not singling out Apple for criticism. <laughs> no, it's yeah. the exact same on the Android side where most of them are still portrait. It's mad. That it took all of this for everyone to go. Oh wait, that's what people use those cameras for. Well, and it's also you're not just holding it like that, right? Like since no. 2015, Apple has shipped a keyboard for its, its iPad Pro as well. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what you dock it in. That's what exactly. this iPad also almost now all has. the use cases landscape, and it's taken them so long to catch up with the cameras. It's like they yeah. they tried to do the software fix where they used AI to like move your eyes, so it made it look like stage. they were looking at the screen, yeah. and then even if you were looking slightly off, but just move yeah. the camera. And that's what they've done. So they've moved the but camera. Only on this one, not on those yeah. pros. <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is the weird thing. This is this seems like such a pro thing. Like if you're going to use any iPad as a laptop, it's going to be the pro. And for it to miss out on this kind of crucial upgrade is a bit confusing. The only possible reason I could think is that it interferes. I think Dom, you said this on Slack the other day. It might interfere with the magnetic. Um, attachment for the for the Apple Pencil that which would usually sit right there, which is why it is only compatible with the first generation pencil. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then all the headaches that come along with that. So you have to get an adapter for your Apple Pencil if you've already oh, if you already own a first generation USB-C to Lightning adapter. Yep, which costs nine pounds, uh, nine dollars. Um, so you now, now it comes in the box. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's a, a bit of a headache, and it's just yeah. So that's just really weird to see that on an entry level iPad. 
Uh, but I wouldn't say that's the weirdest thing. I think the weirdest thing is the Magic Keyboard. The Magic yep. Keyboard is... I mean, it was introduced alongside the iPad Pros. It was designed for the iPad Pros, and it's slowly trickled down to the iPad Air and now the entry-level iPad for the first they time. They call it the Magic, or do they, they call do. it something else? They call it the Magic Keyboard. Right. Very indulgent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, I mean, I love the Magic Keyboard. I, like, I, I always use it right, with the iPad. Really good. For the 12.9-inch iPad, it's just, it's, it turns into a laptop. It's great. Got the trackpad keyboard, works really nicely, and I like the fact that you can angle it, and it just stays at that angle. It's nice. Um, but it's always there's always room for improvement, and that's what they've done. That's what Apple's done with the Magic Keyboard for the regular iPad. So this is now like a hybrid. So you've got the Magic standard Magic Keyboard look, but now you can pull away the keyboard and just have a stand for when you don't need a keyboard. And I just I want that so much for the for the bigger they, they've iPads. Co- they've copied the uh, Logitech Combo Touch yes keyboard keyboard design. Yes, uh, I'm not sure they're is... going to be happy about that. <laughs> No, no. But the Logitech makes those keyboards, yeah, for for, for all the other models, including the Pro, and they're really good. And yeah, it's kind of half, like you say, half detachable. It's a bit like the Surface uh, idea of the Surface Pro, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's also exclusive to the entry level, uh, to this new temp gen iPad. So, but there's nothing like yeah, and it's got like function keys and everything. Function keys, the one thing maybe a pro user would like. Exactly. This just feels like such a weird thing. Like even if they, why wouldn't you just announce it for all of them at the same time? Surely. I don't know. It's just maybe it's coming. And what's what's baffling about these changes here, these specific things not being in the pro, is we were talking the other day on on our Slack. We're all kind of used to the idea that the iPad lineup it gets itself out of sync and muddled up and confused because Apple staggers releases, right? Yeah. They've updated yeah. the regular and the pro this week, but they haven't touched the Air and the Mini. And at some point they'll update the Air, and then the Air will be the best one in the lineup, and then they'll do the Mini, and the Mini will be the best one in the lineup, and it's annoying. It maybe it would make more sense for them to do them all at once, but I'm sure there's internal reasons that's tricky, and so this is what happens. Um, what's odd about this, though, is that's not the excuse, because the pros are here at the same time as this new entry level and could be getting the new Magic Keyboard with function keys, could be getting the landscape camera. Like, There's nothing in terms of... It's only Apple's own fault, only their own sort of choices here that have left them in a position where they're pushing out new pros, lacking pro features that are in their entry-level model. And you can't yeah. sort of say, well, oh, it's because the pros will get an update in six months yeah. and that's when it will roll out. It's like, no, it's going to be another year before we see the pros finally get this stuff. Uh, by which time, probably every other iPad in the lineup will have function keys and landscape <laughs> camera and it, and the pros will look more and more embarrassing as the, the next year goes on. That's just it. As we, t- as we touched on when you were talking about uh, the iPhone, having too many iPhones in the lineup, there are now too many iPhones, but even more... Obviously, there are too, too many, many iPads. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like there are now, they still, like you said, we said they still sell the old normal iPads it's, along with this one. It's such an obvious sign that something's gone wrong that <laughs> their entry level model now can't be the entry level model anymore, and they've had to keep last year's around so that that can be their entry level yeah. model because they forgot yeah. to design an entry level model this time. Yeah, uh, it's, it's crazy. Like, if, if you don't really know which iPad to buy, it's so baffling now. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. Looking all week. at their compare page, it's especially it's nuts, isn't it? Comparing the new iPad to the iPad Air is very tough. Like, yep. there is not a lot in it between them. And it's like for specific use cases, you might want the Air, but you know. It's like better chip tech on it's paper. Better, yeah, you know, better, so you've got really the M1, notice. so you'll get the you'll get the extended display stuff. That is one of the the key, the only differentiators between the iPad Air and the uh, the other one is is the fact that you'll get the M1 stuff, and then obviously the Apple Pen- Pencil. Pencil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but aside from that, they're functionally the same tablet, and you're not going to see such huge gains between the A14 Bionic and the M1 in the iPad to be like, wow, this is a dramatically yeah. faster iPad. Um, but it costs a lot more. Especially in the UK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, iPad Air and iPad Mini had yeah price bumps uh, in the UK as well. But yeah, the, the new uh, iPad that we've been discussing here yes. is, oh, he scrolls, it $449 it. or £499. Mm. Um, and until the little price hike, but let's not keep going on about it. Yeah, in the US, the uh, the other one is $329. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And, and 369 and... in the UK now. Yeah. Which was previously three hundred nineteen. Yep, you know, that's, that's what deal. the cheap iPad was for the three hundred twenty nine dollars for the for that iPad. I still believe Solid. that is an excellent yeah. deal, and that is like the reason that you don't buy a cheap Windows laptop; you just buy that iPad. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, yeah, a little bit harder to say that when it goes four four nine. Um, I think for most people, like who who would you recommend this new iPad to? It's meant to be the default now because it's just called iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, but I just I don't know. I just think that's uh, that when you're talking about that much money, like when we're talking about iPhones, like one of my criticisms of the Plus was like, if you're gonna if you can afford to spend a grand on a phone, just you get the Pro better. because it's yeah. got all those new things on it. If yeah. you really want an iPhone, but like at this at this level, when you're like, oh three two nine, or you could pay like you know four four nine. Uh, most people are gonna be like, well, why would I spend? you know, like a 25, 30%, whatever it is, whatever the math is, yeah, quite yeah, a yeah. lot more at that level uh, to get that. I then have to faff about with the keyboard that you have to buy that costs all that m- money. I don't know. Weird one. Yeah, I don't really know who it's for because everyone that I recommend the re- entry-level iPad to, I would still recommend the £300-pound uh, one. Right yeah, because the, the appeal cause... of that is it's cheap. Yeah. It's cheap and cheerful, but it's, you know, I don't know that there's an Android one around that price that I'd trust as much as I would yeah, that exactly. iPad. Yeah, Um It'd be interesting to see how much the Pixel tablet costs. Yes. And and that, that's yeah. one of the things I was going to say is I think it's an interesting time for Apple to be messing around with its lineup and its pricing and everything because, as we spoke about on the show before, for the first time in years, it feels a bit like the Android market is figuring itself out with yeah. tablets. And to be fair, I wouldn't say it's there yet. And I suspect Apple is not quaking in its boots at the thought of an Android tablet ecosystem swallowing up iPad market share. But still, there are signs that in six months, in a year, in two years, there might be a meaningful, you know, tablet space on the Android side between Samsung, between the Google Pixel, between companies like Xiaomi and Oppo. And, you know, every phone manufacturer now makes a tablet, if not several tablets. And that wasn't the case even a year ago. And that's a trickier time for then people to be saying, well, it's a lot harder to recommend an iPad than it used to be. And you're simultaneously saying, actually, for the first time, there is a good Android one. I could point towards. Yeah. I remember Lewis and I recorded a video comparing that entry-level iPad, the ninth gen, with the Xiaomi Pad 5. Yep. And broadly, we thought the Pad 5 was maybe the better buy, but there were some key points on which the iPad won and where you kind of felt, well, for a similar price, like actually there's a good arguments for the iPads in a couple of key areas. I think if you took the 10th gen iPad and even compared <laughs> it against still last year's Mi Pad 5, because of the price difference now, I feel like you'd come away still really strongly, more strongly saying... We'll get the Xiaomi one because now it's a hundred quid cheaper yeah. than than the comparable competitive iPad. It looks just as nice. It's got almost as good performance, and, you know, and all these other little bits. And yeah, there's definitely still elements Apple would do better. The software side, none of us can argue that they're winning on that bit for tablets and certainly long-term software support and updates. But yeah, I don't know. There's to me, beginning to yeah. be a debate now for the first time, and and it's a weird. It's yeah. a weird time for Apple to suddenly start wobbling, and, and it's <laughs> it's an unforced error, right? Yeah, I think it also shows like a little bit of arrogance and a, like blind yeah. blinkers on in terms of the tablet. Like, because obviously, iPad it's like it's the it's the noun, isn't it? It's just like get an iPad, yeah. and people mean tablet, yeah. Know? But like to have a lineup with so much sort of trickle down between these tiers and yep. to keep releasing so many products, like they're just in their own head with this. Like this, you can tell there's there's people sitting in the the design studio being like, yeah, we can we can make this look like the air, but for like two or three hundred less or whatever it is, um, without thinking about what made the iPad so attractive in the first place. And then you've got this crazy lineup now where the mini costs more than both the cheaper ones, yeah. pretty much. Oh, Matt, it's so confusing. I just think it's arrogance and they should have maybe like three iPads <laughs> rather than five. Well, this is the thing, yeah. You just, they just need to simplify it at this point. Like you need to be like, you know, beginners, intermediate and advanced and just keep it at that and just, just yeah. work I, around I mean, that. A lot of their problems come from the air, I think, which yeah. just complicates the lineup by being, it's not clear who this is for. And it kind of almost made sense when it was the more affordable way to get the modern design, but that's now changed because this one's got that their design. And, you know, it could just be small one, the mini, iPad, the yeah. affordable one, and then now got modern design, and then Pro for the people who need serious performance. And you well, can that's keep what a couple it was like for a little while, there, right? Yeah, that is because the, the air yeah. went away. Yeah. <laughs> and now yeah. we've got the air in there kind of mucking up the upper mid-end space, and we've got two two of them that are just called iPad. And you're sort of unclear, well, why does one of them look completely different to the other one? And why is there such a big price gulf between them? Um, yeah, the very messy to me just thinks this is a, a way for Apple to sort of churn out some iPads and then have people in Apple stores tell confused people to just, just buy, buy this air, one. Just yeah. upsell them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The risk yeah. is it backfires, right? Because there is that uh, kind of, you know, choice paralysis faced with too many options. People go a bit decision blind and go, oh, yeah. God, I don't know. And, um, you know, that's always, if anything, been one of the strengths Apple has had compared to, say, Android, where you say, oh, I want an Android phone. And people go, well, boy, I've got 15 manufacturers <laughs> for you to choose from. They each put out 20 yeah. phones a year. Mm-hmm. Let's start digging yeah. down and figuring out what you want. And Apple just says, well, we got iPhones. 
Um, but if this yeah. is the, the flip side, <laughs> Apple's like, well, okay, we've got eight models. Like, let's start thinking. Whereas you go and look at the other way, and Samsung's like, yeah, we've got three. Xiaomi's got two. You know, can you all, to look a lot easier. Can we all just pour one out for me, who has to update the buying advice for the iPad buying guide? Because <laughs> I've been thinking about that for a few days. Best I have no idea <laughs> what to recommend now. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, we'll have to review the normal iPad first yeah. to see if it's actually exactly, good. Yeah. That might obviously be good. And then, yes. And, you know, that, of course, is always the, the spanner in the works here for all of us moaning. These are probably both going to be very good bits of hardware. And yeah. on, on, you know, pure on their own terms, I think that they're, they're going to be pretty impressive. And, and I certainly like the look of the iPad redesign. It's yeah. been a bit overdue coming, but it's a great, slick design. I love the colors, all of that. It's just that kind of inside baseball looking at the lineup. It's all getting a bit iPads tripping over each other. Uh, shall we talk about pixels? Let's do it. It's been yes. like three weeks and we haven't had our chance to really <laughs> talk about pixels. So Google unveiled the Pixel 7 and the Pixel 7 Pro and the Pixel Watch. And obviously we actually knew about them all for months and months and months. But uh, they are now out. You can actually go buy one in a shop and all. Uh, and early sales figures suggest Google might have done, done pretty well here. And um, we don't have a lot of official data yet. But anecdotally, you've seen lots of reports from people saying that Pixel 7s are flying off shelves in a way Pixels historically do not so google might have sort of cracked the code here a little bit um henry you reviewed the pixel 7 pro and you've also had the pixel watch slapped to your wrist for a bit um high level pixels for 2022 are we happy are we unhappy i think we're happy um they're, they're the best ones yet uh, but that's largely thanks to the, how good the Pixel 6 was, I think. Because mm. Google faffed about for so many years. It sort of, it still had that Nexus vibe about it, didn't it? Like every phone looked different. It had a different quirk. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, the, and that's besides from <laughs> usually the hardware flaws that they had as well. You know, huge old um, bathtub notch on that Pixel 3 yep. XL. And they fixed that by making a really nice looking Pixel 4, but the battery life was trash. And then they threw away all the premium things like the face unlock of Pixel 4 and the 5 was like a mid-ranger. And we're like, what are you doing? Basically, like, every like, Pixel kind of like, phone like... had at least <laughs> one huge gimmick and one crippling flaw. And about <laughs> half of the time, those were the same thing. Yeah, there we go. That's very that's very good way of putting it. And like, I think, the, I think what reviewers kind of tried to do with the Pixel 6 was claim that the fingerprint sensor was that on the pixel 6 and it wasn't a deal breaker like they were really good phones the battery life was a little bit hit or miss um, and i suppose when you take away a physical uh, fingerprint sensor from uh, a range like the, the 6 did then it being a bit finicky but people were picking at um nitpicking there like they were good phones the 7 is best thought of and the 7 pro as just refined pixel 6s and that is not uh, for once <laughs> that is not a, uh, a a criticism like you might have with iPhones that iterate year over year what they've done is gone like right a minute we, we got it right with the design uh, for the most part and we got it right with the features and so we're just going to improve them and that's what the 7 is and globally at the same price 599 um, dollars and pounds is it for the uh, the regular pixel 7 is a insanely good price yeah, uh, for that phone that is the one that I haven't been using, uh, but we, we both gave these phones, uh, I believe, 9 out of 10 reviews, which is pretty solid. Uh, the Pixel 7 Pro, yeah, I mean, it's it's just better uh, all around. I, I don't know what you guys think about the design. I prefer, personally, the look of the Pixel 6, which had the, the black straight across the back yeah. rather than this thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I've yeah. been on the record that I thought the 6s were pretty ugly, and I think the 7s are uglier. So I, It is an ugly phone, That is yeah. the big detractor for me. I look, I look at these on paper, and I think I like everything about them. I just wish they didn't look the way they look. But I think you there are some people, people out there who really like the design, to be fair. Obviously, it's all yeah. taste, isn't it? But. And because of the bar across, like when you have it on a table, it doesn't actually rock. So that's kind of kind of cool. And it does, they don't protrude themselves the lenses so hopefully yeah. i've not picked up any scratches yet on the lenses but the glossiness of the, of the uh the bar on the back of the seven is fine again it's, again it's nitpicking isn't it although the, there's a matte one on the regular one which is a bit nicer uh, it's a very it's a very slippery phone really huge and slippery <laughs> uh, and the cases the cases this year aren't those weird ones that look like you smoke 40 a day after you've had it for six months <laughs> uh, like weird gooey cases these are these are the same price and they're plastic so that's oh, nice. nice um yeah so the Battery life is much better on this 7 Pro. It's a two-day phone for me. Uh, I don't believe the reviewers who, who, who sort of just sort of said, oh, it got me through a day. I don't think they put the SIM card in it. This is really good. Um, two-day battery life, um, which is great to see, and, and no weird... 
apps in the background sucking uh, you know all the juice um, away uh, like you find on some other Android uh, manufacturers. Uh, the cameras are nuts. They're very very good. Um, again, not going to um, notice much difference between that and the six. So if you have a six or six Pro don't upgrade but there's a five times optical zoom now on the uh, 7 pro which is really mm -hmm. good and super res zoom again it's not as good as optical but it's doing some crazy things here and some of the computational stuff that google is doing we always knew they were good at it but some of the zooming here is really very good and i think it's improved on this hardware as well which um has the tensor g2 inside uh it's not going to win uh the the kind of a geekbench arms race um but i mean just the way that it's optimized here i think we can we can kind of point to google going the way that apple does and did with owning the hardware and software stack it can kind of have less if, if apple needs something like less ram or less um size in the batteries to run well i think google uh, doesn't need as much oomph here in yeah. the hardware to make the software uh, work really well. There is um, it, there is an interesting yeah. Yeah, caveat to this phone there, which I guess for me doesn't matter at all, but will for some people, which is if you're not interested in, say, Android gaming phones, but you do want a phone to game on and you take the view that, well, if you buy a flagship, they're all as good as each other for gaming on, this probably is one area where it falls short because Tensor, mm. it, the G2 uses kind of a year-old chip architecture, actually, and so yep. if you compare it to a lot of this year's other flagships, it probably won't hold up as well on gaming and that sort of thing. True. I don't think that's going to matter to very many people. Um, but I guess it is worth flagging. If you are that person who kind of thinks you want to buy a really powerful regular phone to game on a lot, that may be one reason to say, yeah, this one isn't the best of, of those and you're better looking at Samsung or Xiaomi or Oppo. Yeah. No, for sure. No, I definitely agree with that. I don't game too much myself. And uh, like you say, if you're really into your gaming phones, you probably know to look elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but we're only going to know if this age as well, if we play around with it for a couple of years. So I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, uh, what one th They did actually on the Pro, um, they still have a curved screen, but it's much less pronounced than on the 6 Pro. Um, I don't mind it personally. I don't normally get too up in arms about it. But if you really want a flat display that the Pixel 7 has that. Interestingly as well, the Pixel 7 is 6.3 inches and physically slightly smaller than the 6.4 inch uh, Pixel 6. So they have made it slightly more uh, compact as well. I think the downsides are, I would, apart from this phone just being absolutely enormous, uh, still got slow charging. Yeah. Um, slow as in like, you know, inverted commas, but it can't recharge in 20 minutes like a, you know, OnePlus 10T uh, can. Uh, it does take a little while to top up, but for me, because it lasts for at least a day and a half, then I wasn't too bothered by that. Um, are there any things you want to know about it before I keep babbling on? Or shall I move on to Pixel Watch? Is there anything you want to know about Pixel 7? Are you, are you intrigued by the phone? Are you, are you excited by Pixel? Do you want to use a Pixel? What do you reckon? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm excited. I think they've changed enough year on year to make me excited in the sense that there's nothing here that looks like, oh, it's brand new and I can't wait to try that yeah. out on the 7 because nothing else does that. It looks like it's a polish, it's a refinement. It the 6s, which were good, and I, as I said, I didn't really like the look at them. I used the 6 Pro for a week or two, really enjoyed it. I love that software experience. I got fed up with the fact that the phone was enormous and ugly, and that's basically why <laughs> I put it away and didn't use it. Um, yeah, fair. And that will still apply to me with the 7 Pro, which is enormous and even uglier. But I do it's, wish yeah. I could get that software experience on, on on another phone. Not in terms of the rest of the hardware being bad, but just one that looked a bit more to my taste. But yeah. um, it's, that's what it's I always a good miss, that software. You, you make about unique features. There aren't, I mean, apart from that, I, I still believe that the camera is like superlative. Like you're not going to get that look from another piece of hardware. But yeah. it's interesting that they're trying to maybe do a little bit of what Apple does in an annoying way, where they restrict software features uh, to previous generation hardware that can definitely handle it. Oh, yeah. So you get stuff on here like the Magic Eraser, which still works pretty well. I still think it's a weird thing to do in the first place. But for instance, <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing called Photo. I mean, like, if you've taken a photo, don't erase it. That's weird. Um, don't tell they do, their they've got the new feature. That. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, well, the new one for the adverts is called Photo Unblur. Yeah. Uh, which does what you think it would say. And they kind of marketed it not around necessarily photos you've just taken. There is an automatic uh, mode for that called Face Unblur, which actually works really well mm. if you're sort of moving quickly. That's what it says on the tin. But Pixel 7 uh, hardware exclusive is unblurring anything that you have in your Google Photos 
so it's kind of looking at photos you took on older phones or maybe photos that you've taken uh, or scanned into your Google Photos account from like, you know, the 80s or whatever mm. that was taken on some blurry uh, 30 mil film and <laughs> then you can unblur it. It does, it, it's a bit like, <laughs> like computer enhanced from, uh, yeah. from Blade Runner. Uh, it's Google trying to approximate what a person should look like and I've not played around with it too much. I don't really have many old photos scanned into my Google Photos, if I'm honest, but I've seen some other people do it online and it, when a computer is trying to work out, it kind of looks a bit weird. Yeah, it's kind, you know, it kind of takes a little off. Yeah, uh, so again, that's getting in the weeds a little bit of how Google has to try and differentiate itself. It really pushes the software experience and the camera and the marketing. Yep. I mean, the, the thing that I think is the winner here is price, really, because yeah. I, I look at the 7 Pro and say, you know what, there are other phones I would rather use that are in that same big, big, big top-end flagship space. I would probably rather use an S22 Ultra. I'd probably rather use a Vivo X80 Pro. Those are both several hundred pounds more expensive yeah. than the Pixel yeah. 7 Pro. And as soon as I start comparing to the other ones that cost 900, I start finding it a little harder to say, oh, I'd rather use them than yeah. the Pixel 7 Pro. And actually, even with the fact that I personally find it a bit ugly, I'd still say, well, at that price, I don't know if there's anything better on the Android side at that price. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the same yeah, is true for, sure. for the regular 7 at 600. It's, it's kind of hard to to see what else you would pick out around 600 bucks, 600 yeah, pounds exactly. that you'd really say, well, that's better than a Pixel 7. And, and yeah, again, yeah. even if you think it's ugly, I think you could overcome that <laughs> because you'd look and say, well... To get a phone that looks nicer but does all the same stuff, I've got to spend another two hundred. <laughs> and let's be fair, people yeah. just slap a case on it straight away anyway. Exactly, it doesn't matter. Hide it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the six hundred for the Pixel Seven. Uh, uh, for uh, it has it has to be the phone we recommend for that price. I don't. You have to be like a fan, a real fan of like OnePlus's mid range or something to yeah. want to buy something for that price uh, around there. But I mean, uh, maybe I should talk a bit about the Pixel Watch as well. Yeah, uh, it's, it's been on the cards for so long. Uh, Google builds Wear OS and a bit like the Pixel line, it's had to wait for ages. Um, I f when I was writing my notes for this, I just don't, I don't know how to sum the thing up. It's like, it's like beautifully <laughs> frustrating, I think. And it's definitely nice. a first generation product. It, I personally think the hardware is really, really nice. It looks and feels just like a normal watch. It's got yep. a crown there. And for all intents and purposes, it just looks like a wristwatch, which I really like, apart from, you know, the classic giveaway, the, the nerd strap. <laughs> <laughs> but um, everyone talks about like the thick bezels, but because it's black on black, it doesn't really matter. I really don't think that's a problem at all. Uh, Google's really nailed the interface and how it looks. It feels pixely. It uses the same font and it, you know, it's really well integrated. I've been using it with a Pixel, but one of the best things about it is that it doesn't lose any features if you use it with another Android phone, which is one nice. of the big downsides of the Galaxy watches. You lose some... Um, Quite a lot of things uh, yeah. if, if if you if you move manufacture so they haven't locked you in uh, in that way. I guess that the downsides to it as a battery life is absolutely atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, Chris. Back. I think Chris uh, loves it even more than even more than I do because um, uh, he's a big Google Pixel guy. Um, but he he was willing to let it slide. But I mean. The battery life is not is not good. I mean, I, it, I've actually just recharged it, so I can't give you a, a decent um, idea. But I mean, the fact I recharged it during the day shows you Tells that. Tells you everything. Wow. Yeah. Because it, so, uh, I need to back up here a little bit. <laughs> I think that this hardware is probably about two years in the making and potentially was even locked in about that time ago. And then that Google has insisted on waiting for the, Pix, uh, the Pixel, the Fitbit acquisition to go through properly yep. so that they can integrate it with the Pixel Watch. So you get Fitbit built in very well as well uh, and works as you would on a Pixel Sense or Versa. We just reviewed those Sense and Versa new products and they've actually taken away third-party app support yep. uh, and Google Assistant support as well, which is really nice on the previous generation because now you have to get that in a Pixel Watch. It's frustrating to use both a Pixel Watch app and a Fitbit app. You can't log into the Fitbit app with your Google account yet. So you yep. have to set up a Fitbit account which is, you know, I already had one, but maybe people don't. Uh, and then also the hardware that they're using here as well. This chip was in the original Galaxy Watch back in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and a bit like the Tensor, I think they've got away with it because they've optimized yeah. it well. It I don't also, know how it's going to stand up. Yeah. worth saying that the phone phone chips move slower. Sorry, phone yeah, chips yeah, move yeah, faster yeah. than watch chips. Faster. So it's not yeah. totally unheard of to have a several-year-old chip in a new wearable 
I'm not excusing this because I do still think for Google putting out a new flagship and everything, there are newer chips available. Yeah, probably should be one of those in here. But it is worth flagging. It's not as scandalous as it would be for a flagship phone to use a four-year-old chip. <laughs> the watch is it's very common to have at least a two-year-old one floating around but in there because I, they, I would they get for less frequently, but still. Yeah, yeah. Still. No, that's, that's, a, that's a fair point. But I think the combination yes. of it being a four-year-old chip with the fact that it's a one-size watch, there's, there's only one size of it and it's quite small. Mm. Yeah. The combination of the less efficient chip and the small battery yep. is probably why this is... A one day at a push watch. I mean, if you don't do anything with it, it comes with the always on display um, disabled out of the box as well, which is mm -hmm. a, a, give, a giveaway. Yep. That really does like tank the battery life as beautiful as it does actually. It looks very nice. Um, so this is like also because you've got the Fitbit stuff built in there, it's like you need to wear it to bed to track your sleep. But you're definitely going to have to charge it before you go to bed in order to have at least 30%. Um, it's the only smartwatch I've reviewed in recent years that has died on me during the day, basically. Wow. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's um, not even a really safe 24-hour yeah. one to cover. You know, you, you need 24 hours, basically, to cover one <clears throat> sleep cycle, one day and one, and one night. Does it mm. reliably do 24, or would you have hesitance over it has, doing It has done it. I've, ta I've taken it off the charge at, like, you know, 7, 8 in the morning, and it's lasted again till the next morning, Um but it's very erratic. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. And that's Some when it's new. I, it's yeah. it's it's going to get worse from there, right? If you're <laughs> yeah. on this in two yeah, years' time, so. maybe that's now a charging twice a day watch. Like some days it gets to midday the next day, and then some days it's like you know yelling for the charger at like six p.m. Yeah. Um, and so it's very first gen. Um, but that said. It's missing some weird little things, you know, like it doesn't have automatic workout detection. Mm. Yeah, I um, thought that so... was really weird, considering <laughs> Very it owns Fitbit. Yeah, <laughs> but but then it also it's also clever enough that if you go on a run, if I just you know ran for twenty minutes, it could then in the Fitbit app later be like, hey, here was your run, and it has the GPS route, but it doesn't surface that to the user, so it looks as that it's and you know it's just Fitbit things that are. Fitbit does. Is that just a, doesn't do. a bid to save battery life? So you don't have to display all your live metrics as you're on your run? Or something like that? I don't but, know. But it also, if you so that, if you then go and start your run and do Fitbit, uh, through Fitbit, sorry, the only way you can do it, um, if you stop and forget to turn it off, other watches will be like, hey, it looks like you're not running anymore. Yeah. Yeah. This, doesn't, this doesn't do that. Um, and so it is kind of the most premium Fitbit because of the, the build quality and the other things you get in there. Now it's the only Fitbit device that will have Google Assistant. Uh, for instance, but um, the best thing about Fitbit was that it, it, it tells you when you're stopping and starting, and the battery lasts for like four or five days, yep. so you don't, you don't have to you don't have to keep charging it. Um, but then you do get third-party app support on here, which is very well integrated. You know, inline replies to all messaging uh, services work through dictation, yes. or with like a little, tiny little on-screen keyboard, which works surprisingly well. So this is the it's now the our recommendation for the go-to for any Android uh, user because of you know how, how Samsung cuts people out with uh, its choices but it's still very gen one and i think it's you know 350 quid 350 dollars kind mm. of ballpark for the one that's not lte um which is quite high and i've also been reviewing uh the apple watch se the new one at the same time and that's actually the small one that uh, we were sent for review as well and that is a more consistent uh device in terms of performance and battery life um, not that you're going to be able to pick between the two because if you're on an iPhone, you only have one choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> this Pixel Watch does not work with iPhone. So no support whatsoever? No. Oh, that's sad. There will be other Wear OS devices that work with iPhones. Like I think the uh, the, the Mont Blanc did, and I think the Fossil Gen 6s are does, getting yeah. the Wear OS 3 update this week, and I believe those will all still work with iPhones. So iPhone owners do have a Wear OS option just not the Pixel or the Samsung Galaxy ones. They're, they're gated for Android yeah. only. But it's, it's, got, it's got everything built in. It's got like a blood oxygen sensor, which is not switched on yet, which is annoying. But you get, AC, you get ECG. And it does take your heart rate every second, which I think might also be one of the reasons. Every that the, uh, second? That sounds... Every second. Every second. That is excessive. It's, 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 yeah. Even which by I think, continuous standards, that's really... Uh, yeah. So it's just maybe like a little first-gen error that they've made there. They thought that they can differentiate maybe... I, that I feels like a software patch to come and yeah, tune 100%. that down a, down a notch and give I, everyone I, I three guess, hours of battery would, Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because like it's interesting to look down at your wrist for you know up to the second yeah. <laughs> heart, heart rate notifications, <laughs> but uh, it's not necessary. No, that yeah. doesn't feel needed. Yeah, I mean, we should touch briefly. Uh, you kind of mentioned it, but this if we're going to rag on Apple for their confusing iPad lineup, we've got to rag mm. a little bit on Google for the weird way they've handled this Fitbit integration so yes. far that they've kind of crippled the new Fitbit smartwatches by taking <laughs> away Google Assistant and third-party app 
stuff seemingly to leave space for the pixel watch to stand apart in offering those and the fitbit features mm. um as if the average user knows or cares that google owns fitbit yeah and that if the fitbit doesn't yes. do what they want they should buy a pixel watch because that's really a fitbit with google and and all that stuff and really they could be in a great position to just run two brilliant competing smartwatch lines one with a fitbit brand and one with a google brand well, exactly that both do everything google yeah. and everything fitbit and quite... everyone would be happy I don't quite know where it's going to go. You're very right in that way because now, if you go on the Fitbit uh, shop front on the on, on on the website, it's like you know the, the Fitbit family of watches and and Sense Two and Versa Four are now sold right next to the Pixel Watch. Do um, they? I didn't realize yeah, it popped yeah. up on the Fitbit store. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> and the the Pixel Watch is you know more expensive than the Sense Two. Yeah. And then yeah, like like you were suggesting there, my main gripes with the Sense Two is that it lacks features that the Sense One still has. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then but oddly, again, I couldn't test it because it's not live yet. But Sense Two and Versa Four are getting uh, Google Wallet and Google Maps turn by turn instructions. Yes. Yeah. Which you have on the Pixel Watch, but I'm like, well, if you're going to separate them like that, why and take away things? Why are you then going to? It's very. It's a bit confusing. Yeah. Yeah. And and the problem is that the. And the reason that I would maybe lean towards recommending the Pixel Watch over the Sense 2 is that the Wear OS interface is way better than Fitbit OS, uh, which is stunted. It's Fitbit OS barely um, supports. It doesn't support, you know, like um, replies on the wrist on an iPhone, only on Android. Um, Notifications are really balked. Um, The interface is kind of buggy and slow. Um, So it is very confusing and does reek of a company that's just like, very inward looking at like how do we integrate these things and it's figuring that out now this generation yep we yeah. i mean we always knew it would take google a little bit of time to figure out what on earth it was doing with with fitbit i i gotta say i didn't peg quite this specific confusing morass of adding and removing features from different devices and requiring different accounts on different things um i can't wait for the first stories of confused iphone owners trying to buy their next fitbit picking up the cool sounding Google Pixel Watch and then <laughs> discovering it doesn't oh, actually dear. work like their last Fitbit did and it won't connect to their iPhone and, and what's going on there. I think, yeah, I think the changes make more sense, no pun intended, for the Fitbit sense and Versa. It, it does, it, it's, it, to have fewer Google things on there and just be like, this is a Fitbit. Yeah. It, I think that does make more sense. I know I'm going around a bit in circles here, but it shows you that if we're confused about it, it's going to cu- probably confuse consumers as well. Um, I don't know how they will improve the next generation. I would say, obviously, battery life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and you really should be able to, I think, view your, if it's Fitbit branded, whatever, but inside the Google Watch app, uh, Pixel Watch app. Yeah. Because now you can't, it, there's no Google Fit app on here. You don't interface with Google yeah. Fit, which is Google's fitness <laughs> app. <laughs> this it's is going to be like messaging confusing. apps all over again. They had eight messaging apps. We're going to get five different fitness tracking apps from Google mm. before the end of next year. I mean, that's yeah, kind of you're really halfway there with Garmin's. Like, that's the kind of thing yeah. I hate about a lot of the majority of the Sam's and the uh, smartwatches on the Android side is that you do have to download like so many different apps for different aspects yeah. of the watch, and it's just like, can you not just? I don't want to yeah. have four different apps at two, and then yeah, you forget which one does what, so you have to skip between them to find your data that you want. And it's just, it's a bit of a headache. Yeah. Um, all right, I think that will do us for this week. So thank you, Henry and Lewis, for joining me. And sorry again to everyone who missed us over the next few weeks. We are going to try and stick a more regular schedule as we rattle through to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will be back same time, same place next week. Who knows what we'll be talking about? Maybe we'll have an iPad by then. If not, we'll find something else to prattle on about for an hour or so. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Oh, and last thing I should say is if you do want to know what Chris thought of the Pixel Watch or hear a bit more about that, just today on our YouTube channel, we published a video from Chris called Why the Pixel Watch is the Smart Watch I've Been Waiting For, which probably gives you a little hint as to what Chris thinks about that piece of Google Harbor. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, Lewis. And thanks everyone who's been watching and listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.